Hello, American Spectator Spectators. This is Melissa McKenzie, publisher. I'm joined again with Scott McKay, very important editor at the American Spectator. And he has been on a holy terror talking about his ama amazing subjects, actually, of Billie Eilish and Balenciaga. I bet you didn't think that a Southern gentleman from Louisiana would be talking about these topics, but that is what's animating Scott right now. So Scott, do you have something you want to share with everybody else we were talking about beforehand? We, we, were, yeah, we were talking before the, the podcast got going about um, every year since, I guess she was, I don't know, 16 and she's 21 now, Billie Eilish, the, the pop singer, um, does like an, an interview with Vanity Fair. And that's a video thing. And they, and they do. And um, she is she's now 21 and i mean if you know if you remember billy eilish when she first kind of came on the scene she was gross like she was like really awful and like like you know with the purple hair and like they well, did she was a teenager I, right. I have they made they made her they, they made her out to be you know like the parents worst nightmare right oh and you know i mean you know everything of it was like really dark kind of weird all this kind of stuff. She's 21 now and Billie Eilish is like normal. Like Billie Eilish comes off like a, an all American girl. She didn't have the purple hair anymore. Like everything about her looks, you know, classy. She's, she's actually pretty, which before you never really kind of knew whether she was. And she, the way she speaks is as a very normal 21 year old. And she's, you know, she's successful. She doesn't really need the money anymore. And what we were talking about earlier is like, the pop culture got Billie Eilish when she was a kid, right? Made her a star and put her in a box. And she and her parents, you know, like took that success for what it was. And she is now moving towards somebody who is normal and like will make a living off of her voice and not off of this kind of kitschy, you know, pop culture crap that they make particularly female singers do. Um, and it's, I, I, to me, it was re really refreshing to watch some of this because she is normal. Like this is a normal human being at 21 years old who has a, a decent head on her shoulders, actually is smart and has takes that are not wacko Hollywood stupid. Um, whereas when she first started doing these interviews, they totally were. And it was like, what do you get from a 16 year old kid that's had like crap fed into their head? Her parents, I think, have done a really, really good job with her. Um, well, um, have you seen the, there's a documentary about her and her family. Have you seen it? I've heard about it. It didn't actually watch I've it. watched it. And her parents really had, so she's homeschooled. And right. she and her brother were homeschooled. And they lived in um, the Hollywood area. Her mom's been in acting before. They, her parents have been tangential to the business her whole life. And they live in this small home. And she, her parents had one rule, which is they could stay up past bedtime if they were making music. So she and her brother would stay up till all hours making music as they were growing up. And he had read, her brother had read a, about the 10,000 hours to, you know, get mastery over something. And so he produces and he is also a singer um, himself and 
and has toured with her and has always like he's always there and her mom is always there. And so like if you've seen the behind the scenes things, um, there was this one particularly poignant moment where she was 16. She had just got her license. She'd wanted for her birthday because she'd made this money. A Mustang was her dream car. And she wanted it all souped up. Her dad went to the dealer. She didn't know this at the time. Got the saddest baby engine put into the Mustang. And, you know, they were watching, showing her, taking her driver's lessons and that sort of thing on on her phone. Same thing my kid did. And um, she goes out. Now, mind you, this is in L.A. And she's meeting a boy that the parents don't like to go on a date driving in her car. And her dad, as she drives out the driveway, and it gets me choked up thinking about it because it's so relatable, had tears in his eyes and had to turn from the camera. And he says, just shaking his head, what are you going to do? I'm trying to raise a normal daughter. Right. And he, so like they really, really worked hard to not over shelter her, but to like protect her growing up to have a normal adulthood. And she's really close with her brother and her brother's like, she's got the worst taste in men, you know, like it's very typical stuff. And she went through this stage and everybody kind of had to endure it. And, um, and she was really depressed, had real trouble with depression at the beginning of her career. And I know all of this stuff in case you people think I'm whacked out and what's a middle-aged woman know about this stuff, but I have kids the age that, and when her music first came out, there was a quality in her voice and in her ability that was special. And I was like, this girl is special. And, but we watched this and I was like, please, I remember just praying one time watching the video, you know, God, look over this girl because she is clearly depressed. And I hope, and her mom was always right there. And that made me feel better because I was like, you know, I watched a, uh, uh, I think it was a history, like behind the scenes type of thing about Britney Spears many, many years ago. And she was a piece of meat that was being bought and sold. I've never been so horrified watching something in my life. And she was clearly had no, she clearly had no agency about what, anything that was happening to her. And this was before she was committed and uh, her parents did what I view as a very terrible thing to this kid. And rather than helping her through her transition, like uh, Billie Eilish's parents have done from childhood to adulthood, uh, Britney Spears' parents essentially abandoned her to the system. And then when she was breaking down because she was afraid of losing her children in custody, which would make me shave my head and go crazy, you know, I can't even imagine, um, they... They did, instead of helping her, they took her business over and made themselves rich. Right. And uh, of course, they don't see it that way. But, you know, villains very rarely see themselves as the bad guy. And so like to see Billie Eilish's family deal with it so dramatically differently and in such a positive way, it was really, you know, it's not an easy world. You know, you see what happened. And uh, Justin Bieber really um, was like her idol and uh, Billie Eilish's idol. And when he found that out, you know, he basically, um, there was a concert she was about to do and he came to that concert and he saw her 
and she was just overwhelmed, but he said, you know, basically anything you need. And some of these older kind of child stars I've seen have been intervening with a lot of these younger kids and like trying to help them navigate things. So Katy Perry said the same thing to her in the, in the video. Um, and, um, her husband, um, what's his face from Lord of the Rings. But anyway, they both were really sweet to her. And so like, there's this kind of, they know what's going on. So I'm hopeful that maybe she can be to your point, an example for other young stars. So so that this, I mean, it's terrible what's done to them. And I hope for her a normal life of some sort. Well, and it's a, on a related subject because, and we were talking about this before the, uh, the show got started. I mean, you know, this pops at the same time that now we've got this business with Balenciaga, mm. which is, you know, I, I don't want to go in. I don't want to do like the big statement and say this is like the worst thing you can imagine, because frankly, there's probably worse out there than Balenciaga. Mm-hmm. But Balenciaga is like that bad. OK, I mean, um, and this is, you know, the, the weird piece to this is that, you um, you know, they've got like a ready excuse for they're popping this ad campaign out that has all of this really, really ugly, strange, satanic kitty porn symbolism to it. And they're, oh, that's our production company. And that's this and that's that. Mm. The people who are the main designers at Balenciaga are all super, super, super groomers. Okay. Like there's no other mm. way to, to describe this. Every single one of them like pushes the envelope on child sexual sexuality and like all of the stuff they do. They've all got, you know, Instagrams that are full of really, really, you know, disturbing images. The guy who's the, 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 uh, the CEO that owns it has a private statuary collection that is full of the most God awful things that you could ever imagine mm-hmm. and has put it on display because in the culture that that guy operates in, like everybody gives the golf clap when they see this kind of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I mean, you know, the, the Balenciaga stuff comes out, mainstream media has got nothing to say about it at all. And I mean, these are like still images that they have with kids holding teddy bears that are in bondage gear and there's like paraphernalia scattered everywhere. And if you zoom in on it, it's like really, really weird stuff. Like they got this kind of yellow police tape that says Balenciaga on it. And they just happened to cut the tape so that the BA in uh, Balenciaga like overlaps with the AL. And so like, as the tape is like ball, you know, like the Mm -hmm. demon ball. And it's like, okay, I, I take it these people are they're in the pop culture mm-hmm. and they're culturally literate they know that if you have a roll of tape that's sitting so that it shows ball like people are going to notice that right and apparently they think that that's like a good thing like that's edgy and cool and everybody's like no most people by now know that ball was a middle eastern god that people would sacrifice children to right and christianity kind of adopted ball as you know, one of the what minor demons or whatever. Um, and you well, know, and the other thing uh, is like exorcists will will tell you that people who are possessed will say that they're possessed by ball, right? Like this is not, you know, this is not some totally right. obscure thing. People know what this shit is, and yet they're like advertising it with kids in, you know, um 
you know, marketing photographs. And it's like, it's like, who do you guys think you're kidding here? Like everybody can get this, even though the, the mainstream media refuses to act on it and treats, gaslights people as, oh, like, you know, that's just a conspiracy theory. It's like, no, it's not. It's a freaking photo that you guys put out for publicity. And it's got like every kind of reference to Alistair Crowley and freaking Satanism mm -hmm. and like kitty porn under the sun. You know, like you maybe get one or two and it's like, yeah, well, that's an unfortunate coincidence. When it's seven, it ain't a freaking accident, you know, right. and we're not morons. So we look at this and we're like, OK, well, now let's go look at the Instagram of the designer who's running all this stuff. And, oh, there's a whole bunch of kitty porn on this deal. Let's look at the guy who owns it, and what he's involved in. Like, Oh, there's plenty of kitty porn there. You can go on YouTube and you can look at Balenciaga's, well, I guess, fashion shoot that they did in beginning of October, I think it was. Um, and it's a weird deal. Like they 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 mm -hmm. basically put like a like a mud pit and then they walked all the models around it and everybody's like it's mud and water everywhere. Everybody's like shoes and the bottom of their dresses are all getting wet. And they're all holding handbags that are teddy bears. Like the handbag is a teddy bear wearing bondage gear. And they're like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, this is just a production company that set up this for no, that's that's on your fashion shoot. Okay. And like nobody mm -hmm. seems to even remark about that. It's like, no, 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 no. This is your this is your marketing gimmick that you've done, that you've got teddy bears in bondage gear. That's that that's like an unmistakable reference to kitty porn. Okay. Like any normal person would understand what that is. The other thing is they got all the models wearing coats that are way too big for them. Okay. And short shorts, the men and the women. It's like, I know what that is. That is a reference to child pornography, right? The short shorts is the porn and the jacket that's like too big so your hands don't even freaking show out, the, uh, out of the sleeves. That's, these are kids. So they're running basically like, like a not even well uh, disguised child pornography reference for a fashion shoot to show off their, you know, the current line. And it's like, it's sitting on Balenciaga's YouTube. This is not somebody that, you know, somebody got this and like misinterpreting it. It's a 15 minute video that you sit there and watch and go, look at this. Like, this is like, this is, they're trying to sell clothes to people. And the whole thing is a reference to child pornography. Okay. So I'm going <laughs> to, this isn't the only thing. So right no, now, I don't, I, I don't know if you noticed that there was a whistleblower from the health and human services who was talking about all these children who are coming across the border and then going into immediately child trafficking. Yes. And um, all these kids were tracked down and they exist and they're afraid because they don't want to be deported. So they would rather be, um, a prostitute for a slave, sex slave, and they don't want to be um, expelled. And this is the Biden administration doing this. And so then you have, so what my point is, is that like, this is not just an isolated thing. You have women in, they call them vampire masks in Hollywood, where they're taking, um, you know, they have blood taken, then they put it on their face and, um, there's quite a few for the middle-aged women out there. One of the things you have to be careful about with, um, you know, facial products 
is fetal cells being used in like face creams. And so like be, beyond the abortion debate, now we have this transgender thing where we're literally uh, um, sacrificing the ability of children to reproduce and and in often cases, the parents using their child for some whacked out reason. Throughout the culture now, we have this complete and utter contempt for innocence, for young life, and we're normalizing the sexualization of children for the benefit of the majority of the cases, absolutely perverted men. And so like well, a few years ago, we had this whole Pizzagate thing and people, you I'm know, brought that up. yeah. And um, who are the two brothers who work for Clinton, the bag men for Clinton? John and Tony Podesta. Yeah, the Podesta brothers. So if you look at their homes, it is a, all their art is a glorification of absolutely vile things to children. And then you have Maria Abramovich, who is an artist in New York, who's friends with Lady Gaga and the rest. And they do these, you know, pseudo blood sacrifices where they're eating food that looks like a human body, having models covered in blood, like literally freaky shit. Yeah. And, and, and if, we, if this doesn't like register with you, go like go Google spirit cooking. And yeah, I, spirit I, you cooking. may remember all that, but like, yeah. And the thing was, if I, if you let me pick up on this a little bit. Um, so the Pizzagate thing came out as a, um, as a result of Podesta's emails getting right. out and making it onto WikiLeaks. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, you know, this all kind of came from the DNC emails and everything like that. Um, and Podesta, John Podesta, who was Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, um, mm -hmm had like password as his email password. And so somebody got in and got all of his emails. And there were all of these very strange conversations that referenced like, you know, kids and, and all this. And it was like constant references to like pizza and ice cream. And there were like these, these images, these kind of squiggly looking images. Nobody, they didn't make sense to anybody. And yet there were all these people that worked like the child trafficking, you know, section at the FBI were like, I know what that is, right? And it was mm -hmm. you know, pizza and ice cream. Those are references to kids, um, and all. Well, the symbols mean symbols. something specifically. The symbols were like different symbols I, for different child trafficking, and. Well, I thought that the pizza itself meant that, like, was for a little girl, like yeah. the, th that indicated. And the thing is, we've seen some. I can't remember, and I don't want us, you know potentially say the wrong name, but there was a director and I think I have the right name in my head, but I don't want to say it if I'm wrong. Cause it's a, you know, terrible thing, but there's these guys who have these symbols in their like Twitter bios. These, the, these are not people who are being particularly subtle. Right. And so that was some kind of conspiracy. And then it, with the, the pizza place got trouble, but then we have Epstein who the list that we haven't seen yet. And, and then we have, and never will. And we have these fashion houses and guys like Bill Gates were, went to Epstein Island 17 times and he's clearly a freak. And we so we have this. It is not a conspiracy to say what is obviously in front of your face, which the world elites are disgusting and depraved 
and in a quest, in my opinion, once once you've had all have all the power and have everything materially that you could dream of, the only thing you don't have is innocence. And so steal it. And so even if it's not some vast conspiracy, it's just the way it is. I mean, I, I remember Justin Bieber said at one point that in order to be a part of the ownership of something, he had to be involved in some disgusting thing with a child. And then it kind of got like he shut up about it. I don't know if he was warned that he'd end up dead or something, but um, it came out when he was kind of having his mental breakdown. He's like, I can't do this to her. I can't, I can't do it. And um, the implication was kind of that the stress that he was under wasn't necessarily the stress of fame. It was the stress of the people who would ruin him if he didn't participate in some of the depraved things they wanted to do. Well, and I mean, you know, every single child star in Hollywood, it seems like, has these like horrific mm -hmm. stories to yeah. tell of, you know, I mean, I don't I don't know if the, the casting couch is the right you know term for it but you know there's a there you, you know there's a definite price that you pay if you want to be a you know a, a figure in hollywood as a, as a kid i mean they will absolutely do it and look you can i mean thank god for the, we started off talking about billy eilish and it looks like we kind of maybe escaped that with her yeah don't tell me you escaped it with britney spears because you didn't right no. i mean it's very obvious yeah that you know, that, that something was done to her that broke her. Yeah. Um, and I mean, this happens like this is like, this is not a, a new story. I mean, you get glimpses of it all the time. You know, I mean, if you remember the whole Michael Jackson thing, yeah. Um, you know, and I, like that, that was that creepy behavior was learned somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very obvious that it was, and it, I mean, Michael Jackson was a broken individual Mm -hmm. no question about it i mean the, the the lyrics of his songs particularly later in his career mm -hmm. i mean he knew that there was something definitely wrong with him mm -hmm. um and that his psyche had been damaged but didn't have the ability to come out and actually say it um so you see this over and over again mm -hmm. um it's normally been a hollywood oriented thing mm -hmm. um but particularly starting with the Pizzagate stuff. And if you remember, they discredited all of the Pizzagate stuff by making this, mm -hmm. like it was all about some pizza parlor in DC where they right. had like kids chained up in the basement or whatever the hell it was. They're like, oh, this place doesn't even have a basement. And so the entire thing had to go away because it was a, you know, that's a QAnon conspiracy theory. And it's like, well, no, wait, we still have Podesta's emails. Right, and we still right. have spirit cooking and we still have the freaking artwork on Tony Podesta's walls that right. you idiots went and took pictures of and did a freaking whole photo shoot for, what is it, Washington Monthly or whatever. Right. Like there was nothing wrong. Like right. this was not, you know, aberrant or deviant or, or creepy in some way. It was like, no, no, it's perfectly normal. He's just got avant-garde taste in art. And it's like, what? And now you're at, you know, you got, you've progressed because this, none of this has ever been addressed in any significant way. No, now you've right. got a, a, you know, Balenciaga, which I've been offended by for a very long time. What offended me about these guys before I even had a clue about any of this, this current crap was $1,200 sweatpants. Like they were going to sell <laughs> you sweatpants for $1,200. Mm -hmm. Like, cause you're stupid enough to buy $1,200 sweatpants and they're smart enough to sell them to you. And you know, well, they, don't they, you that, think though, that's for the public to try yeah. to, 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 to do that. And 
once you have that contempt, it's like, okay, well, how deep does this rabbit hole go? We're finding out and it's like, oh my God, make it stop, right? Mm -hmm. This is not an isolated thing. I mean, this is like, this is shot through the culture, you know, in every in every cultural sector we have, whether it's fashion, mm -hmm. whether it's music, whether it's just regular art, whether mm -hmm. it's, you know, the film industry, television, I mean, you have this. You know, the, the other thing that we didn't talk about, um, you mentioned Epstein, was Nexium. Oh, right. Yeah. Nexium was another case very similar to Epstein, They're basically turning underage girls into sex slaves. They were a little older. They were mostly like 16, 17, 18. Um, but that's that was the basis of that entire thing. It was elite people with lots of money in a self-help scam that if you paid a good bit of cash, you get a 17 year old girl you can have sex with. Well, um, the, well the no fortune that backed it and all this other. Yeah. Things. Well, the brandy. Well. And they got branded. But the thing that's not talked about literally. is literally branded was that Nexium owned um, preschools. Yep. And so it wasn't just the founder who got to have sex with all these women, because that's what happens in cults, is um, it, this one was particularly weird. And again, funded the Democrats. So like yep. part of the reason why that got all shoved under the rug was because they had tight ties with Hillary Clinton again. It's amazing, you know, so she's buddies with Harvey Weinstein. She's buddies with the Nexium people. She's, you know, but Podesta's are her work life work for her and her lifelong helpers. And we're the conspiracy theorists for pointing out the obvious, which is you all are messed up. Right. And this is representative, not just of a few people in leadership positions across the country, but most of them. And, you know, I, Madison Cawthorn, when he was talking about the orgies in D.C., and Kevin McCarthy and the rest were like, oh, no, you know, <laughs> somebody actually <laughs> to bring in. The, and somebody said to me, do you really think that's happening? And I was like, do you really think it's not? Yeah. I mean, these people are away from their families in a disgusting city with disgusting people. The next natural thing is to do disgusting things with these people you're hanging out with. And no, I'm not. I'm surprised that you're surprised, but I do think it points to kind of a degradation overall of the culture and of the utter disrespect of life. And, and this is where I think abortion in particular, uh, the blood that's spilt in these, you know, child sacrifices, millions and millions of them, the inevitability of degrading life means that, um, Life is degraded everywhere. It doesn't just stop with a, an aborted baby. So some, I remember years back, Scott, I was at a training session for some tea partiers. I, I flew over to Arizona and gave a talk to like a huge room. There was thousands of people there. I can't remember what it was now, but uh, like tea party, not tea party express, the other one, tea, tea, I don't know, tea party, whatever the other one was. And they had a big kind of conference and they, I was talking about um, social media. And while I was there, I was interviewing a bunch of different tea party people. 
And I interviewed this couple and they were kind of, you know, there were two types of tea party people. There were the the kind of libertarian, which is, you know, just leave me alone. And then there were the people who were like with the bank bailouts and stuff. Where's my bailout? You know, that kind of more populisty, uh, gimme, gimme thing. And so I was talking to one of those couples and they weren't pro-life. These people didn't really give a crap about the social issues really at all. It was all about the money for them. And so I asked them about their views and they said that they were, they didn't care about the pro-life or whatever, you know, people. And I was like, well, have you considered the long-term effects of this? And they're like, no. I was like, well, everything you just described that the child was getting in the way of a family, that the child would be um, uh, an inconvenience, that maybe it would be poor economic circumstances. I was like, what happens when you're older and you're an inconvenience for someone's life and you're not really contributing to society? And they, the, the look on their faces like, oh. was like, Oh, I said the long-term consequences of that argumentation. And I was like, keep in mind, the boomers is the biggest generation and there's not enough people to take care of them. What do you think the solution to that is? And we're seeing that in Canada where they're just killing off old people or people who are kind of sick. And now people who are like, I'm tired of living and they're mentally ill. And, you know, this one guy was particularly poignant. He was um, having a bad time economically, he wasn't getting the health care that he needed. He was just distraught. And so he thought that this was the way to go when he, and he was a veteran or something. And some, and he told a story and money poured in to help him and he got the help he needed. And he said, I would have killed myself. And, but that's, but the trouble has passed and my life is good now. Right. And so now, but the, but the, the, the abortion mentality, you can't just turn it on and turn it off. Yeah. All so, sales are final. I mean, right. Sure. So like you, when we see this Balenciaga stuff or the Jeffrey Epstein stuff or the child trafficking, the Biden tra- child trafficking across the border and uh, the whole of the government is looking the other way and all of the elites are like, woohoo. And if you'll notice num- the number one thing that Trump did when he got into office was to get rid of to like do all these roundups of all of these pedophiles. That whole unit was disbanded by Biden. I know. Well, and I mean, you know, you had thousands and thousands of indictments Mm -hmm. in the child trafficking thing. Almost all of those indictments were sealed. Yeah. Right. Like there were judges and they were like, yeah, we're not going to, we're not putting this in open court at all. And I mean, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of this stuff just got pled out. Um, and who knows who went to jail or whether they just paid right. fines. I mean, you, you never really find out about any of that stuff, particularly when it's a sealed indictment. Right. But like that was a big deal that the Trump DOJ was able to do. And then it just kind of went away quietly. Yeah. Um, and well, I, I feel like Biden's resupplying the, you know, so Trump did a lot of the cleanup. Well, now Biden is resupplying the country with their share of children to traffic. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, and, and the thing is, is that there's clearly an effort to hide this stuff from the yeah. public. Okay. Because every time you pull any of this thing, I mean, the American people, you know, kind of get really um, squirrely about social issues 
All right, but yeah. the one thing that everybody seems to get galvanized around is the idea that you don't abuse kids. Like that is the, the one thing that's like still among ordinary Americans and it crosses party lines. People really, really don't like the child abuse piece. Now, I think that's going to end. I think it's ending with this transgender stuff. Uh, I think well, I think it's going to be codified into law that you cannot prevent a child from transgendering themselves. Maybe we'll not today, maybe not tomorrow. We'll see. But, well, or you know, or this is the rock on which the wave breaks, right? Maybe. I, mean, I, I so hope you're. I hope you're right. This, but but what I was what I was getting at is, um, poll after poll, and the trans kids piece is a is a piece to this, but like all of you know the child sexualization and all that stuff, people really really don't like it, and so they hide it. And it mm -hmm. just goes on. It's in very subtle things. It's so big, though, that you can't really hide it because this stuff keeps popping out over and over and over again, largely because you have a whole bunch of people that are really not talented that are in charge of all these cultural institutions. And they're they're inartful. I mean, just you go back and you look at the Balenciaga thing. There should have been somebody at that company saying, um, guys, you're scaring the fish away. Like somebody should have looked at those those still shots or whatever and gone, what what are we doing here? Like, you know, all on board with the agenda, guys. But like, you know, I'm not going to be able to sell $1,200 sweatpants when all of a sudden our brand is trash mm -hmm. and, you know, people run away from us, which even right. though the mainstream media won't touch it or when they do touch it, they call the whole thing a conspiracy theory. Right. It still has done a ton of damage to that company's brand. I mean, like a ton. Um, you know. All well, we can hope. I mean, the thing is, a brand like that doing things like that should not be in business. I'm sorry, right. no, no one they, should I mean, be they buying. Should go down like Enron. Okay. Yes. And hopefully they will. I mean, I'm not going to say they won't. Um, but I mean, this is one of these things where once people start going down that rabbit hole. I mean, are you kidding me? And, the, you know, what's going to be fun to watch over the next, whatever, two to three months, right, is whether HBO or Netflix or somebody is going to do a documentary series on all of the you know, degradations and depredations of Balenciaga, like they did with QAnon, right? Like, like HBO did like an eight episode limited series on Q and like, oh, this is all these wacko, crazy Q people. And it's like, I mean, it's a bunch of bored housewives that basically make up the bulk of Q's, you know, yeah, um, yeah. aficionados. I mean, like these people are not consequential in American politics. Like, what the hell? But I mean, they made QAnon out to be like this whole thing. And of course, what really animated the Q people, right? What was right. it, Melissa? All of this shit, right? right? It was it was the idea that, you know, there is a um, there is an element within you know, the elite in culture, economics, and politics in this country that is, you know, either friendly with or outright involved in child trafficking and child sexualization. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that that they made that out that this is crazy theory. It's not crazy. It's obvious. It's everywhere. The Epstein thing absolutely proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt that you had elite people from Wall Street, American politics, and Hollywood, mm -hmm. cultural, political, and economic, were all on that plane going to Pedophile Island multiple times, okay, yeah. for the express purpose of having sex with underage kids. Everybody knew that it was the case. Everybody still knows that it was the case. 
And they refused to tell us, you know, exactly who was on those planes and exactly who were, were the Johns. And Jelaine Maxwell is going to go to her grave with that information. It will not get out. Yes. Well, I mean, and it's all black. It's all blackmail. You know, this is all is. this is all to keep people in line. But I do think that once you've achieved a certain amount of money and fame, there's a certain there's terror in losing it. And there's also boredom with having it. Yeah. And and so what is there left to do? And throughout uh, history, it's I mean, been this, you know, well, it's yeah, it's it's it's, you know, moral decay. Yeah. And it's politics. Yeah. Right. Because everybody who gets super rich in this country all of a sudden thinks that they're a political, you know, figure of note and that their mm -hmm. their opinions on public policy are somehow important. I mean, half of Twitter is that, you know, for right. like Rob Reiner posts a thousand things a day on Twitter as though anybody <laughs> is going to give meathead credibility to talk about, you know, world events. I mean, it's like, dude, get over yourself. I mean, Him and Stephen King is another one, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, how does this even happen? But the whole point is, is like these guys have made all the all the money that they're ever going to have. They're played out from the standpoint of exercising their talent, and so the, you know all that's left is you know hedonistic kind of glorification of the senses and politics to make you feel important that that your life actually has meaning of some sort. And I mean, you have such a large class of sort of indolent elites in this country that you see this, right? And, you know, um, a couple of days ago, I got in a really interesting discussion. We we're talking about the robber barons of old, right? The mm -hmm. Rockefellers and the Vanderbilts and the Bernard Baruchs and the Carnegies and those kind of guys, you know, right. which Teddy Roosevelt came in and it was, it was going on before he was there. But I mean, he came in saying, look, you know, these guys are a bane on our democracy. They've got too much, you know, power over the market sectors that they control. You know, they're, they're of way too much influence and we've got to cut, cut these guys down to size, you know, and, and as a conservative um, of the sort of modern stripe, you, you kind of like embarrassed it, Teddy Roosevelt, right? Like that's kind of a big government guy. And what we've mm. found because of like the way that everything has moved over the last 25 years, like, now you can understand where Teddy Roosevelt was coming right. from, right? Because we have this elite class, not just in this country, but all over the world, that is totally depraved, right? Okay. And, and has way too much influence over our society from, you know, culture, economics, politics. But the difference between the robber barons that so exercised Teddy Roosevelt and people on, on, on his side of the, of the divide and now is... If you lived in a city that was you know, that was that had robber barons in it, right? Like if you lived in Cleveland in the late 1800s, um, like Rockefeller was not a perfect guy, but he was a damn good guy to have in your city because right. he would go build museums and schools and libraries and theaters, right. and all, like you know what Ford did in Detroit and what Carnegie did in. Pittsburgh and all of these right. other, you know, these cities. I mean, these guys were massive benefactors for the public good, right? right? Compare that to the people that the Bill Gates of the world and the Zuckerbergs and whatever, they may fund a hospital here and there, but what these guys get all exercised about is not philanthropy in any meaningful sense of the word. It's politics, right? I mean, well, I, well, I think it's actually, 
raw power and politics. Well, okay. Yeah. So, politics so the, is a vehicle for that. Sure. I, I, yeah, I'll give you that. Here's the thing though, but like, I think of politics just as, uh, you know, people ex- running for office or something like Donald Trump. That's one thing, you know, that's almost kind of a, a legitimate, you, you know, cause he still has to get elected by the people and he still has to make his ideas sell. But that's a different thing that we're talking about. Yeah, These guys want even... to manipulate the levers right. of uh, what used to be a free society to enhance their power. And they don't view themselves as Americans. They view themselves as world citizens. That's and right. so they look, you know, we have writers at the Washington Post who should have been fired writing admiringly about the government of in China. It's absurd. Yeah. And and the, they're the modern Nazis. They're the modern people enslaving their own people, literally welding people in their homes so th- that they die uh, horrible deaths, uh, to carting them off to re-education centers and, you know, quarantine centers, you know, the whole bit, like right in front of our faces, and Tim Cook is, you know, interviewed about what's happening over there. Riot happens at his own place, one of his factories, right. and cannot doesn't say one word. And my question is then, the Epstein's of the world, and and with this digital world that we have, I figure that what used to be a, you know, somebody had a a stack of pictures in an envelope in a, you know, in a file folder somewhere now it's all digital so there's dirt on everybody around the world so like everything is i swear that i think that the money that's going to ukraine is simply because Zelensky has pictures of you know biden with a child or he's taken money from literal nazis which is probably true and so like we we have this elite that is causing economic, uh, making us economically vulnerable, making us um, uh, vulnerable, you know, when, with, uh, you know, a potential war. We can't ever trust that it was done for the right reasons. We can't trust anything that's being done anywhere in the world because there's so much money involved and so much blackmail material involved. Sure. Well, and, you know, um, I bring this up for reasons that will become known later. Um, you know, we are now in a in a situation where every single media narrative that comes down the pipe, every single, you know, current thing that we're being asked to support or condemn or whatever, all of the facts as presented as these things are initially brought to the public's attention all turn out to be lies. Everything turns out to be gaslighting. None of it is real. The, I can't remember the last, you know, media-driven, uh, whether it's a controversy or di- public discussion that, that comes out. You know, I, I mean, they all turn out to be frauds. The, the Trump-Russia collusion thing and the origins of COVID. And I mean, you just go, I mean, you can go back as, as long as you want. And the one that I want to go back to is the Obama origin story. Because if you'll remember, that was sort of the, I mean, we have had accusations of conspiracy theory before, 
Right. All right. But when Obama came on the scene was when it was really kind of weaponized to shut people up, because if you didn't accept the uh, legacy media narrative about where Barack Obama came from and his right. background and how his political career got started, and all, like they made the people that brought that stuff out uh, up back in you know 07 and 08, they made those people out to be wackos like you were a right-wing nut if you brought out any of the stuff that you know the soup that obama came from even though the evidence that came like that was just sitting there that people were like hey i can prove what i'm saying and i mean it was crickets that you couldn't get any attention at all to talk about any of that stuff and now the public is basically at the point where I mean, you know, you've got confidence in the media in this country is lower than it is in Cameroon. I mean, nobody mm -hmm. trusts the mainstream media anymore. And like, hey, let's go back and look at Obama's origin story, right? And let's apply our current skepticism to media narratives to Obama, right? Because in 2007, right, this country was so different than it is now in terms of all of the things that we've been talking about. And all of the sort of cultural degradation that we get and the, the loss of confidence in the political system, the loss in, of confidence in elections, all of it, right? And like, let's apply that to Barack Obama coming on the scene, right? And the circumstances between, say, 04, when the Democrats really kind of felt like, oh, God, we ran John Kerry, we got, we got smoked by George W. Bush, who's a moron. And what are we going to do? And like 2008, when it was a stampede and you had a totally different Democrat party. And then shortly thereafter, you had a, a totally different America. Um, like you want to have a fundamental exercise, go back and look at all of the stuff that people had said about Obama. And how are you implying that Obama is not an American citizen? No, no, I'm not implying that. I never bought into the whole he was born in Kenya. Yeah. OK, so what are you saying exactly? Well, are okay. you Like, for example, let's go. Let's go look at a picture of Barack Obama and let's look at a picture of Barack Obama senior. And let's look at a picture of Frank Marshall Davis. Right. Which one does he look like? Because I'm going to tell you, it's not Barack Obama Sr. You can go back and you can look at the um, the timeline of uh, Ann Dunham meets Barack Obama Sr. in uh, Russian class at the University of Hawaii in the fall of 1960. They supposedly marry in February 1961. There's no marriage license. Nobody remembers a ceremony. All right. Then over the summer, he opens up. I'm going to Harvard. And she goes to the University of Washington two weeks after she has a kid. She goes to the University of Washington, doesn't even know anybody in Seattle. She goes. She doesn't follow him to Harvard. By the way, he was married to somebody else, uh, meets mm -hmm. a girl at Harvard, brings her back to Kenya and marries her after he had a couple of kids with her. And like never even sees his son, Barack Obama, until kid's 10 years old. And the mother is still in Indonesia. She dumped him off on her folks in Hawaii. That is not well, and Frank Marshall of a also father and a son. Well, Frank Marshall also paid for Barack Obama's schooling. I know. I know, and when he came back to Hawaii, like two, three days a week, they'd drop him off and he'd hang out at Uncle Frank's place. Mm -hmm. Why would that guy have any interest in that kid? Right. Right. And of course, Frank Marshall Davis was married mm -hmm. to someone else. So it was inconvenient for him that he might have knocked up this girl. 
Right. And yet he's just doing a good turn because this kid doesn't have any parents. How about that? Mm -hmm. The whole thing, like when you stop and review, like everything that we were told about Barack Obama, okay? Mm -hmm. And then you go back and you look at the people who were branded as nuts for mm -hmm. coming up with a counter narrative about this guy. Couldn't get any attention at all. Like Jack Cashel, for example, who did all of the work comparing Dreams right. from My Father with Fugitive Days, which was the book that Bill Ayers wrote. Right. And right. they're identical books. Okay. Right. I mean, like sentence structure, what metaphors are used over. Well, the, the thing is, does he even really deny that he wrote it, though? I mean, the they thing. Just don't talk about it. Nobody. Right. Does, right. right. Yeah. I mean, like, the, that's thing... the whole thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't have to answer that question because I'm protected. And yeah, right. it's like, okay, but what if the public had known that Obama as a, you know, literary figure, who, by the way, got $125,000 advance in 1990 to write Dreams from My Father and had never written anything. He wrote a poem in the Occidental College literary magazine about apes eating figs that was one of the most illiterate pieces of crap you ever freaking saw. And from that... And nothing else. He was president of the Harvard Law Review without ever having produced anything that was in that law review. Okay. The guy had never written anything. All right. He got $125,000 in 1990 money to write Dreams from My Father. And by the way, didn't write it. It went four years. And then Poseidon Books, which was Simon and Schuster, canceled the contract. They said, well, this is a dry hole. We wasted this money. And then Random House came along and gave him another $40,000 um, uh, advance for the book. This guy got $165,000 worth of advances and he was no one. He had never written anything. I write books. I'm like all excited that I just got an advance that's basically 10% of that in 2002 money. I'm all fired up. And I've got 13 years, more than that, of stuff that I've written that's all over the place. I'm a proven commodity as an author and nobody's offering me $165,000, okay? And that's right. not just because Obama's black and I'm white, okay? This had to do with somebody wanted to do something with this guy and wanted to make him a name. Well, guess, right? who, just got a, guess who just got a um, big contract for a book? Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Same same thing. I mean, it's a formal. I know. Have, you it's, seen, have you seen what the uh what the title of the book is? I forget. Everybody's a revivalist now, Melissa. Just remember that. He's Why, talking what? about an American revival. That's his book. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I always knew Ron DeSantis was a revivalist. How about that? How about that? It's, what's also neat is John David, uh uh John Daniel Davidson at the Federalist has a piece out and he talks mm -hmm. all about. We need an American revival. I'm like, damn, I got to send him a copy of my book. You do. Um, Actually, I literally wrote the book on what you're talking about. So yes, you know. Um, oh, by the way, because I had people yelling at me. Yes. This is the book I'm talking about. The Revivalist Manifesto, How Patriots Can Win the Next American Era. Buy it on Amazon. Anyhow, um, I didn't get okay. an advance. For, I didn't get an advance for that. Obama got an advance of $125,000 in 1990 and did not write the book. Okay, like this does that. You if you're not an author, you don't understand. This does not happen. Okay, that never. Yeah, but it's like their deal. It's it's like their deal with Netflix. All of this is money laundering. Of course it is. Of this is money laundering. This is how they do it. This so like this, uh, Sam Bake Friedman dude. I, I, you know, 
who gave money to all the Democrats. And as it turns out, McConnell and some Republicans. And it was money laundering. They basically took the money from these poor uh, crypto dupes, stole the money, gave it to, to part of it to Ukraine. Ukraine sent it back to America, gave it to uh, all these Democrats. And um, this is the way it's done. This is the way they they're clever, you know, like Biden's stupid kid making money through art. It's money laundering. Of course it is. So, you know, the entire publishing business at this point is, I mean, or at least most of it, it's a scam. Yeah. Which is honestly, it's kind of the same thing as, I mean, you go talk to anybody that's involved in Hollywood at all. And they'll tell you between the drug cartels in Mexico and the Chinese, that's how all of the motion pictures are financed by the big studios these days. Like that is literally how it works. Um, like, and I don't know if you've, if you've seen it, but Epics, uh, does the, the TV series adaptation of Get Shorty. Um, that's, um, uh, what's the guy's name? It's not Chris O'Neill. It's Chris, some Chris Chris O'Donnell. No, uh, he's an Irish guy. He's played a bunch of different. Well, Chris O'Donnell's an Irish guy. No, no, no. This is, this guy's like literally Irish. Um, Chris something. I don't know. Anyway, I'm I'm not going to bog us down with it. Um, and his entire deal is that he is a hitman who works, you know, like the, the John Travolta gets shorty. He's a mob bosses, you know, fixer guy from, from New York. This guy is a hitman in Nevada for a drug cartel. And he, but he's, you know, he wants to be in the movie business. And so he does kind of the same Chili Palmer thing, but the entire series is all about how the woman who runs this particular drug cartel that the guy works for, it's her money that's financing the movies that this guy's getting into. <laughs> and it's like that series came out and man, it got hammered by the critics. I mean, hammered by the critics. And the reason was it was way too close to home. I mean, like mm. way too close to home because he like literally sent up the the whole kind of motion picture finance thing. And I mean, it was like, whoa, you're not supposed to talk about any of this stuff. And I, th- I think they went two mm. seasons, maybe three. And then all of a sudden, it, okay, you got to make this thing stop. Right. And it's too accurate. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, hmm. I mean, the, 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 the movie Get Shorty was kind of, you know, far enough away from. Right. You know, there were like some funny things and everybody in Hollywood got a kick out of it. They didn't get a kick out of the epic series at all. Okay. And it's good. It's, I mean, it's it's dark humor, but it's really funny. Um, but okay. So along this line, I I, I have you watched the, uh, I think it was on Netflix. Yeah, Netflix series um, called Vatican Girl. It's no. about the. Okay. I haven't even. I haven't. Even okay. Okay. So, it's Vatican Girl is about a girl whose family lived inside the Vatican, and they um she was this happened in the 80s she was abducted lived for a while and then they think killed she might be still alive she might be dead nobody knows and her parents haven't haven't given up but when you watch the whole story there's mob ties there's catholic ties there's international financing of political scheme things it has everything. I feel like, you know, the SNL skit, you know, the the um, 
Oh, the guy who recommends the clubs down in It's Always Crazy in New York. This is this. You need to watch it. And yeah. readers, I think those of you who are watching this podcast need to watch it. But what's interesting is that it involves the CIA. It involves um, people who are in charge of the church now. It involves money being laundered. Right. Is, is, it, is it a fictional thing or is it a no, no, this is documentary? This is a documentary. And the thing is, it's a sober one. Like there's no, um, uh, there, there's no indulgence of conspiracy theories. This is a family who is really trying to get to the bottom of it because they want to know what happened to their sister. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the brother who is now in his sixties, um, her older brother base is one of the main guys, but you know, people say, well, the, there's no mob anymore and there's no, 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 no. All of this stuff still exists. It's always existed and it continues to exist and it corrupts everything. I think one of the differences now is that with digital media, and people who are super sleuths, they can put the pieces together more easily. Like you laying out the Barack Obama thing or somebody laying out the fact that it, Justin Trudeau looks just like, um, you know, Fidel Castro. You mean Fidelito uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. And acts like him, yeah. um, you know, all of that kind of thing. There's, there's, so there's some crazy like QAnon stuff, but underneath it, um, under, you know, setting aside the obvious crazy stuff, like no, I, I, if for those Q9 people watching JFK Jr. is not coming back, he did not, you know, he was not the grand marshal of the Macy's parade. Um, <laughs> so, you know, but so that kind of craziness is wound in with actual true, uh, I, I mean, words. I think there's always an element of that, that derails the the real thing like i mean yes. you know, what my biggest complaint about the q stuff is you know there there i mean it's all based on generally speaking true things but then right. there's always the you know tangents that you get pulled off into right that that you know kind of ruin the entire uh deal i mean the pizzagate thing i mean the perfect example of this and if you i, I think it's probably still on youtube unless they banned it but, um, you know, Ben Swan, the investigative reporter, had yeah. done, and this is probably back in 2017, had done a thing on Pizzagate. And like his whole thing was, none of this has been properly put to bed at all. Right. The only thing that like they, you know, they, they discredited this business about the basement of the pizzeria. All right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was all, that was crap. That, none of that was true. The rest of this stuff is still very much, you know, up for discussion because it hadn't been disproven certainly whether it's been proven or not it, i mean it bears mm -hmm. investigation because i mean and you can go to every single one of these things that they constantly oh no, no that's all that's all the trip no there's true stuff in there the right. question is you're mixing the chaff in with the wheat right. and forcing us not to eat it right right and right no there's legit stuff in there and right. this gag is old with whiskers on it that you're gonna you know you're gonna throw a bunch of you know, sugar in the gas tank and the car doesn't run anymore. Right. That's how you defeat some of these, particularly these cultural scandals. Well, um, that, I mean, that's going to have to be done with the whole COVID thing because absolutely. that's the elites themselves. You know, Tony Fauci helped fund the research 
in China that resulted in this virus. And it's it's pure gaslighting to pretend like that didn't happen. Right. And so, like I said, way at the beginning, when one it took me at first, I was, you know, thinking Fauci was uh, uh, good and decent. We should be listening to him. It took me a couple of weeks to figure out that he was full of it. And I, you know, I really regret being taken in by that scam artist at the beginning. But once I figured it out, I I joked on Twitter, I said, we're going to find out that not only did he fund this, uh, you know, not only is he botching the solution to this and coming up with this decronian solution, he will have caused it as well. Well, ha ha ha. Well, here we are. And so, and there's a lot of money to be made at every step of the process. There's money to be made on the beginning end of it. There's money to be made screwing up the result of this pandemic. And the thing that makes me nervous is guys like Bill Gates and the, um, what's his face at the WEF, who is in D.C. and sitting in the Klaus Trump, Schwab, right. Klaus Schwab, um, that, you know, uber villain. Um, I mean, you, you put horns on him and you're like, yeah. is it central casting for this guy? You know, and he even talks in these acts, you know, the German accent. You're like, ah, you know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what in the world? Yeah, but, and the, even the clothes he wears, he looks like a James Bond villain. Yeah, he really? it's just really. Like, and I so, mean, you know, like, I mean, Spectre is supposed to be a fictional thing. Like, it's supposed to be almost <laughs> right. kind of a campy joke. And you jackasses took it to heart. Right. They're like, no, we're no, we're, we're a real thing. And we meet in Davos every year. Like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, they're all talking again about the next virus. As if they know what it's going to be. They were talking before, the year before this one came out, game theory, a virus just happening to be a coronavirus coming out just like this one. And I'm documentaries about it. I mean, right. literally made, I mean, Bill Gates uh, starred in a documentary that came out in what, 17 or 18 about, right. you know, the next big pandemic. And oh, well, we saw it with SARS and this is going to eventually happen. And whatever. And then lo and behold, you find out, oh, no, this was actually cooked up in a lab in Wuhan with our money. And it's like, okay, so how, like, how much of this are we supposed to ignore? Like, right. all guys, of it. we're supposed like, to. I know, I but think... like, like what, are, what, are the, what are the limits that I'm supposed to impose on my own cognition when I see the absolute just in your face? conspiracies i hate to say conspiracies yeah i know but they are but okay? they are i mean you cannot look at at the the um the who as currently constituted and how it addressed covid right from the very beginning to now you can't look at that and not see that there's a legit like rico as in like racketeer induced corrupt organization is the perfect definition of the who okay it is a literal criminal conspiracy you can look (laughs) at the democrat party and what it's doing to our elections as a legitimate criminal conspiracy okay i mean um you know i I think it was a couple of podcasts ago we talked about jay valentine at the american thinker that you know did this whole thing about these guys that were going through the voter rolls in wisconsin and striking out you know the the bad Mm -hmm. stuff in there and probably saved ron johnson as well well, he had, this week he's got a new piece at the American Thinker talking about how some of these crooked county registrars were putting, like they took one county, I think it was in, I think it was in either Wisconsin or Michigan, 
took 31,000 addresses and put like changed them and put the wrong zip code on those addresses. Mm -hmm. Okay. In their, in their deal. And these were like real addresses. Then they changed the zip code. And so these things went, went out and came back undeliverable. All right. And yet mm -hmm. those people, I mean, a whole bunch of that 31,000 people went to vote on election day. Oh, you've already voted. Right. So you have some, I mean, like, and this is one of these things where he, and the whole thing is about database latency, latency because mm -hmm. the GOP gets a copy of the voter file for a cycle. Okay, this is the voter file that we're using. And who knows when it was dated? The Democrats get a new copy of the voter file every week. So mm -hmm. there's no database latency on their part. They know exactly where it is. So if they've got somebody crooked in these, in these county mm -hmm. registrars, that's going to go change the zip codes send out the ballots, then change Ooh. the zip codes back, and you're not looking at the voter rolls in real time, okay? right. you're never going to catch what they did. Right. Okay. So like that's, this is, I mean, this, okay, go and prove it, right? Like, I mean, I get that. But if this is legit, if he's not all wet, and in, at least in one case of this one county, he's not all wet. Um, I mean, you, you want to, this is like hundreds of people need to be in jail like right now okay but the thing was this all this happens because th this kind of stuff takes money and smarts and a yeah. lot of these local people don't have either and so right. when you have someone like in the last cycle uh um well, what's I mean, his zuckerberg with his was, 400 million dollars right okay. zuckerberg flooded the zone to do exactly this kind of thing. And then in the select last election cycle, you have Soros, of course, but then you have, yep. So like, so like you have to have, my thing is, is I think that what's happening is we have a system that is a house of cards and the people and the elites are trying to get everything to, to wring everything out of it as much as possible before everything just crashes. Right. And and in addition, like we're, there, there's a couple things today and uh, I don't want to go over time this time, keep everybody's interest, but we, someone's talking about electric cars that know that electric cars are also a huge scam. Like they were showing a, they were showing a, a graveyard essentially of all these battery powdered powered scooters that when they break down, but they can't do anything with them because the batteries poison the ground everywhere. And so you have these graveyards of scooters. And I said, imagine when there's a graveyard of cars and they know most people cannot afford these electric vehicles right. and that the- Look, those graveyards already exist. They exist right. in France. They, I mean, yeah. they made all the government cars in France be electric and after five years or whatever, they go into these giant fields they've got set up out in the country that are just just go park these derelict cars. And I mean, you know, 100 years from now, they'll be mining them for the plastics or whatever. But I mean, th th that already exists. And so right. now you want to turn all the cars in this country into this. And what are you going to do with them then? I mean, you're going to have to do like a Yucca Mountain for all the cars. I mean, and and by the way, you'll have stripped mined the whole world of all of the co cobalt, nickel, and cadmium, and right. all all that stuff. All I'm saying is, is that this there's, it's not good, 
And there is going to become, I, I do think there is going to be an end to this kind of insane, corrupt gravy train. Yeah. I, it's unsustainable. And that's what I'm really concerned about because there's unrest in China. There's unrest in Brazil. There's unrest throughout Europe. In the Netherlands, they're literally stealing farms from people because right. of emissions. It's because of the EU rules. Yeah. Right. You know, the, you know, the Netherlands has a nitrogen minister. I don't know what a nitrogen minister is, but there's a nitrogen minister. And that's she, this is the mm -hmm. woman that's like, oh, we're going to shut down 3000 farms. Right. So they're literally imagine getting a letter from the nitrogen minister. Hey, <laughs> actually, the, unfortunately, down. I can. I mean, no, that's because the of the nitrogen. And it's like the nitrogen. Nitrogen is 70 percent of the exactly. atmosphere. What exactly. What, what? Like, why do I why does 70 percent of the atmosphere have to do with my business? It's like, well, it does. So here's an offer for your farm. And if you don't like it, we're going to eminent domain your place and throw you out on the street. Right. I, yeah. That's not sustainable. I mean, they did this. They've already done this stuff in Sri Lanka. They got a revolution for their trouble. Okay. It's going to happen all over the world. This is not, I mean, not, it's where, you know, the question is when, okay. The, not, the question is not if you're going to have all of these, these, you know, government structures, superstructures, international um, institutions that have been established to, to push all of these things. And they're not going to be able to make happen what they dream of making happen. Because yeah. first of all, they're not smart enough to pull it off. They're smart, but they're not smart enough to pull it off. This is this, world domination is something that some of the, the most capable people in the history of humanity have tried, and all of them have failed. Okay. And there is no Napoleon or Alexander the Great or Genghis, Genghis Khan. Uh, you know, Klaus Schwab is not that, and Joe Biden is not that, and Vladimir Zelensky is not that, and Macron is not that. Sorry, guys. G, you're not that. You look like Winnie the freaking Pooh. Who the hell do you think you are? All right. None of this is, is it's none of it is possible. They're trying it anyway. All they're going to do is make a lot of people's lives very, very miserable. Okay. Before they finally fail and are toppled from what positions of power they currently have. That's just, that's just the reality of the thing. And the real question is, when are people going to get pissed off enough to do something about it? Because the minute People stand up and do something about it. You see, you've already seen it with Musk and Twitter. Some guy stands up, fine, I'll buy it. And by the way, I'm wiping out all this stuff. And like Twitter's never been more successful. He gets rid of three quarters of the employees and the traffic is way up. The, the, the hate speech is down. I mean, like everything about Twitter is working except that, you know, these scumbag woke corporations, well, we're not going to advertise that's that's a temporary problem for the richest man in the world right like if he finds another mm -hmm. model that doesn't depend on advertising and all of a sudden guess what when you have a social media platform or a media platform of any type that doesn't depend on advertising to make a profit that whole woke corporate thing think about it that structure collapses you want to talk house of cards is that because now it's oh well the advertisers decide what our content is going to but when the advertisers don't and people can actually say what they want or say what the people want them to say, like all of this woke stuff goes away. The public I will say that is why the, at the at the American Spectator, why we moved from we're moving toward a subscription model as much as possible because it gives us freedom of speech yeah. and we can say what we want. And and when you're 
at the whim of, you know, one or two or three people. And in the case of, well, and like what Musk has dealt with, with the, you know, Apple and with Google, um, it controlling who can have his product, you know, there's a problem. I, I'd, I'd be interested in the conversation between Musk and, <laughs> and Tim uh, Cook because, you know, but yeah. I, I, the thing I'm concerned about with Musk though, and I, I, I'm curious about what you think is not Twitter. Yay. Glad Twitter's free. This Neuralink thing freaks me out. Yeah. And I'm just like, that this transhumanist thing is what all the world elites, including Elon Musk, wants to happen. Right. And I'm sorry, but that's where I jump off the crazy train. Yeah, if he wants to be sort of the free human being, you know, hero, like if he wants to be a a, mm-hmm. a, a transformative figure of, you know, human liberty, okay, he's going to have to drop all that crap. Um, and I think some of that may very well have been him being influenced by, you know, the other money that's out there. Um, I don't know. He just had his thing and yeah, said that. I mean, I, like, I, I don't have a firm line on exactly what is that. Yeah. What I can say is, is that the more people find out about that, the more he's going to get pushback on it. Um, because most people are just as creeped out as you are about that. Well, that in the metaverse, I mean... Yeah, but with, the metaverse is a is a disaster. It's a well, yeah, that, disaster. Right. The only people like the only people who are interested in living their lives in the metaverse are people who are so toxic and such losers that they can't make <laughs> it in the real world. And the problem is, they don't like each other. Right. So when you you're that much of a loser that you go into the metaverse and all of a sudden you're interacting with people just like you in the metaverse, it's like, oh, this is lame. I don't want to be here. Like everybody's a dork. Right. And so that's the problem with the metaverse. You got to get normal people interested in plugging into the matrix. And mm. what makes you normal is that you're not interested. In <laughs> right. And so this was like a flight of fancy for Zuckerberg and sort of the lesser freaks like him that you're just not going to make that fly and there are here's the thing though i'm going to put my conspiracy hat on i've seen over and over trial balloons flown on certain technology It, it, it was clear to me that the metaverse thing was very much in development and not fully thought out but the idea of it is what's important for people to kind of get used to the idea of chip implants is, I mean, these are generational type of changes that have to happen. So like people have to, so everybody, there was a time when Google glasses, everybody's like, ah, oh, whatever. Well, now everybody's using VR and using these different headsets and, you know, look in the fool in their living rooms while they're playing games or whatever. And um, uh, Americans are getting fatter, impotent. I, I don't know if you saw the post-millennial, the oh, piece yeah. done about the, all of the, the sperm counts going down and that by 2050, nobody will be able to have kids. There seems to be a a, a desire, like the alternative to um, going out and driving and, and having a life and seeing the world and engaging it on the feel, a real literal field of ideas or field of play 
is to like get rid of all of that and really truly create idiocracy where your chair is a toilet and you're sitting there ordering, you know, Gatorade while you're watching and playing video games in your house and no one leaves. And the, and the world just becomes a big trash heap pile. Nobody engages with anything. Well, and I, look, I think a lot of that has begun to happen and it's not a good thing, but I mean, the value in this, the, the, the sort of end game of pushing these technologies, I don't think is, and it may very well be where Musk is on this. The value is not that you're going to turn Earth into that because you never, I mean, it's like 8 billion people on the planet right now. And right. the vast majority of the people on the planet are not going to plug into the matrix. Okay. But where this actually becomes useful is when you leave the planet okay and you're going to put mm -hmm. people on spaceships and it's going to take generations to get them to alpha centauri or wherever the hell it is that you're going to try to go you know settle um or even if you manage to put people on mars which is this bleak hellscape that <laughs> you know you you can't even really build settlements above ground in mars you got to go under the ground I mean, you can't put people in a cave, right? I mean, like you're gonna have, you have to, you have to supply them with virtual reality. You have to supply them with a matrix mm -hmm. that they can, that, because otherwise, you know, you, like you're gonna have bloody murder in the mess hall, right? I mean, people are gonna go crazy being in an unnatural mm -hmm. environment like that. So you've got to be able to generate something that when you put people on a spaceship and instead of gravity, there's centrifugal force that your little pod that you're in will actually, you know, um, so you're not floating weightless and your bones dry up and blow away in the dust. I mean, you're <laughs> like, you're going to, yeah. you're going to put people in an, a living environment that is not conducive to human life as we know it. And you're going to have to synthesize that in order to get that, you know, class of human that's going to go off planet to be able to survive. So these technologies actually have value within that, um, you know, within, within that reality down the road. And so that's, I think, if I'm, if I'm allowed to sort of get inside of Elon Musk's head, because part of his deal is, is he's trying to put us on Mars, is you do need to have some of that in order to make it work. Now, does that mean that we're going to turn, you know, Peoria, Illinois into the Matrix where everybody's body heat is what keeps the streetlights on. <laughs> no, I mean, I like that's never going to happen. That you will never get people to agree to that. You might but get. If you're willing to get on the spaceship, and this yeah. is the price of being part of you know humanity that goes and lives on other planets. Then you know, like some of this stuff is is valuable in that respect because you you can't do it otherwise so if, like if your job is to help run the spaceship and you can do it inside the metaverse right where you're doing mm -hmm. this three hours a day and then you're going to yeah. go play football with your buddies on the meta field right mm -hmm. maybe you can deal with that as being you know part of this sort of space colony that you know your great grandkids are going to ultimately um found somewhere else because it takes 200 years for us to go there like that okay yeah but you know 2022 and we're going to get all the fat losers from high school and go put them in the metaverse where they can you know kill aliens as an extracurricular activity no that's i mean that, that you know you're going to lose so much money trying to change the world to fit that 
mean, that is not the same thing as Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs inventing an iPhone and people are willing to change their lives to access his product, which, I mean, that makes him sort of the Leonardo da Vinci of the modern age that he was able to do that without coercing anyone to do anything. Um, this is not that. This will not work. It's creepy and it's awful. And most people like rightly shun it and will. And I think it's probably going to kill Facebook that they even move that company in this direction. Their stock is tanking. Their engagement on, on their platform is dying. Mm -hmm. That's like, you can see that it is. People are moving to Twitter because it's freer. Um, and, and, you know, like it's less ambitious now in terms of what it's doing. And that's a good thing. Um, are you a sci-fi person? And fantasy. I mean, not like I, I am, I'm a lot. Sci-fi movies. I mean, like I, you know, I'm conversant. I don't sit there and read sci-fi books all the time, but I mean, I've done enough, and I've kind of seen some of the themes that that are being pushed, particularly in these things. And you know, as it involves spaceships, I mean, like that the stuff that is being done right now absolutely fits with that. Robert Heinlein, man, talking a moon is a harsh, harsh mistress. I, I, I'm just thinking of the this tech in that way. Uh, very rare, uh, you know, but I could see it happening because I was like wondering, how do you get people to Mars or how do you get people to, you know, the moon? And it's the old fashioned way, right? I mean, uh, Australia was a penal colony. Georgia was a penal colony. You promise people freedom in exchange for getting the heck out and they can forge their way and you put a neural implant in them. So if they get out of line, they just, you know, get conked out no matter from earth and their butt, if they're good, they can, you know, and then they the finally. Dopamine. Lots yeah. and lots of dopamine. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, like that is literally the way you're <laughs> going to have to do it. If you're going to move people off planet, because the places that they will have to live are not going to have wide open expanses. They're not going to have atmosphere that you can breathe. Okay. And you're not going to be able to carry around enough oxygen that you mm -hmm. can go explore all these places. Cause like you got to be back to base in an hour. Okay. Um, you're going to live in cramped quarters in places that suck. And the <laughs> only way you're going to be able to get people to actually do the things that you need to do right. to sustain this stuff is to give them the kind of, you know, fake pleasure that something like a metaverse could do. It, it's, it's not, it wouldn't work any other way. Um, and that's just, you know, like that. I, and I know that's kind of what's driving some of this stuff. And you know, that whole bunch of this is, you know, kind of DARPA stuff from way back when it's kind mm -hmm. of been repurposed into the private sector. And you know, that's why, why this all came about in the first place was, you know, hey, how do we do this so that we can move people, you know, off planet? Or if there's a nuclear holocaust, how do people survive in bunkers underground, yeah. right? And the way you do it is, is, you know, you plug them into the matrix. Mm. Well, on that happy note. Uh, I, I am mean, not plugged into the matrix. You cannot plug me into the matrix. We're in the matrix right now. I'm not in the matrix. We're on, I got bad news for you, bud. If you are, this is the thing that people right now don't understand. Anyone doing anything digitally, anything. This, this, I mean, my, I might this work is in the matrix. matrix. I might work in the matrix, but I don't live in the matrix. I live in the suburbs of the matrix. Mm. 
At best. I don't know. I think that a lot of us have, are a lot deeper in than we'd like to admit. And I, and I'm not sure at all if any of this has been a positive thing. I'm going to go back to, uh, uh, you know, Edison and say, you know, I think maybe you made a big mistake <laughs> with this electricity I'm thing. Fat because of you, you made yeah. us fat. We used to pull plows and be, you know, healthy and in shape. Yeah. And now we're not. <laughs> well, okay. So, um, I don't even know what to say to, to all that, how to wrap that up. Living back on this earth, though, and in this reality that we are supposedly living in, um, I think the individual thing that can be done as far as staying grounded in reality is to be in reality, like you say. I think that the problem with the mental illness that we're seeing and everybody kind of going off their rockers is... First off, information overload and not being grounded in actual, the physical realm, going out, breathing air, seeing the sky, talking to friends, going to church, keeping higher principles in your mind. It protects you. But this whole world that we're talking about, this whole kind of, you know, looking into the abyss and the abyss stares back type of stuff is not great for you, for your mind, body spiritual life, anything. And I think it's why we see so many mental health problems right now is because people have been living these virtual lives and have forgotten how to live real ones and need to get back into reality and stay grounded. So if I had any recommendation at all, um, I, I would read a lot of science fiction because it will help you predict the future. It will help you oh, predict the now. Always has. always has. But also, you know, stay in the realm of the real and, you know, be with friends and family uh, and be at church and do real things. All of that kind of stuff well, helps. And, and don't, you know, don't swallow things that you see on the news as yeah. fact. Because yeah. you you know you now know that it's not. Mm -hmm. This is some narrative yeah. that somebody wants you to believe, and you're you're absolutely one hundred percent not obligated to accept it without asking questions. And when you start asking questions and they start calling you names as a result, then you know you're being you're being lied to. Yeah. And look, that is a really really healthy thing to recognize is that hey. You know what? I'm being plugged into the matrix here and I can unplug from it. Yeah. And I don't have to accept these things. Yeah. And if they want to say bad things about me, then at least I understand who they are. It doesn't right. mean what, you know, who I am, you know, and, and the, the more oppressive this becomes with social credit scores and debanking and all the rest of this mm -hmm. stuff, mm -hmm. you know, like that, those are bad developments, but what they really are is reality. Now you understand the, the, the scope of the fight. Right. And like on our side of the fence for 15 years, we have had our heads in the sand and not yeah. understood the scope of it. Now it's undeniable and you yeah. have to recognize it and you have to fight it because you don't get to live your life as you expect to live it. And as you've been, you know, conditioned to believe was your right and, and not wrongly so um, without winning this fight. And really, the yeah. more people recognize it and say, OK, that's it. I'm not putting up with this crap anymore. Yeah, you're going to win. 
because there's yeah. too many of us and not enough of them and they're not as smart as they think they are so right. when everybody says no screw you i want my freaking first amendment rights and all the rest we're gonna have those that's well, the, the thing is of america and actually western civilization as a whole is that when people seize the things that were god-given they get them because it's too damn hard to take it away from free people right well i think looping back at the beginning remembering first principles protecting the innocent protecting our constitutional rights like really basic stuff being grateful to the creator uh, and and author of those rights and realizing that it's the state can't give or take them away they are right and all of those things um and when you see all and the th the thing that uh needs to be kept in mind if we're not teaching our children about these things, they'll be swept away. They will be swept away by this stuff that has to be taught. It cannot be, it, you cannot expect that they will passively just learn these things. In fact, they will learn the opposite of these things. Good will be evil and evil good. Right. So, so with that, go out and buy... Um, Scott McKay's book, Revivalist yeah. Manifesto. Looks just like this when you pull it up on Amazon. Great Christmas gift. And um, find us all at the American Spectator, spectator.org. Oh, and I wanted to just plug one more little thing that I'm doing. I was invited onto a, an app called Paperclip. And basically it's small audio sound bites on kind of the news of the day. And you can respond to other kind of intellectuals. They're limiting it right now to 35 people. I somehow was one of those 35. I don't know how. Oh, so yeah. you're the elite we've been talking about. No, it's not. They literally said when they were talking to me that they were looking for mid-tier commentators. Oh. Well, that's <laughs> I'm mid-tier. kind of nice, I guess. Yeah. Welcome to the mid-tier, Melissa. I'm a mid-tier. I guess that makes me low-tier. Yeah, I don't know what that makes anybody. But anyway, so it's pretty funny. The idea, though, I think it's a an interesting uh, model. I don't know how successful it'll be, but I am doing some little clips a couple times a week over there. So like in between our podcast, if you just simply cannot get enough of this scintillating stuff, whew, um, you can go over to Paperclip. I think it's an app for people, too. But you'll see it in my Twitter feed at Melissa Tweets. Uh, Scott, you're what? The Hayride? At, at Reviver.com. R-V-I-V-R.com. R-V-I-V-R.com. Okay. What are you on Twitter then? Um, that, you... that is me on Twitter. I'm at R-V-I-V-R-D-O-T-C-O-M. At Reviver.com. Okay. Because oh, we're okay. launching Reviver.com as our new thing. And I decided I'd just use that as my Twitter. Oh, okay. All right. You're going to have to repeat that on, you know, like, and the YouTube video or wherever you're watching this podcast, you're going to have to slow it down. We will make sure that it appears on YouTube in the, in, in the links below. <laughs> so you can just click on it because I don't even know if I could find it. Okay. So thank you all for listening. It's been a great week. And um, as always, uh, we appreciate you subscribing, share with your friends, share with your family well, and I, I, actually, we don't appreciate it. We demand it. Smash that like button and smash the subscribe button. You're you so gotta bossy. Do it. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, you in the back, smash the like button. <laughs>
<laughs> okay. So listen to Scott. Thank you for listening. And we will see you next week where we will be talking about all the conspiracies that are real. 